Well, howdy, yeah, gang. Yeah, we always do. Howdy, gang. Uh, back country and barbells. Um, I'm Joe Shamanic, the other guy on the show, as you know, uh, Jeremy Day. Uh, we discuss all things train, hunt, and living. Um, and uh, we're going to recap today a fun little experience. Um, if you listen to our last episode, which you should, um, you'll get the full story of how um, of what we're talking about. We're going to recap the second day of our uh, our late season hunt together. Um, which was a good one, um, but uh, uh, you know, Jeremy, um, it's funny. Hunting's interesting for me. the The more I do it, the more I want to do it. So I'm always caught. <laughs> I'm always caught though, because like, you know, I'm I've been trying to hunt closer spots, you know. But um, you know, I think I think anything within three hours is doable, right? And I would right. even venture that you could probably day hunt um, if you had some real stones um anything within a five-hour drive but once you start getting past that like it gets a little crazy but you know on, on our last couple of hunts together where we've seen so many critters and we've had opportunities um even on a couple of solo ventures that i've gotten into um that we'll talk about in later episodes like i'm always like torn on the drive home like how do i ask my wife for another shot in the woods <laughs> you know because you want to you, yeah you want to because like we have such busy hectic lives like so i'm always taught between okay how do i express gratitude for the current experience but as quickly as possible ensure i have another experience right so i mean i mean i know you're in a little different spot than me because you've set the precedent um with your little lady uh very early and and i think you're actually probably in a really good position because you're actually hunting a lot less than you used to but, but yeah, you, I am hunting a lot less. <laughs> so and you're you're in a good spot because like the last days you're spending in the woods, your wife's like, oh yeah, sure, because it's better than what was going on. So you know, and I, and I know I know we've had a little discussion in your in your in your early stages of your marriage. There might be a little bit more selfishness to how you you're going about was, but I mean you're you're now sensitive to it. You got two kids who are grown. You got little Titus, and and you do have the wife. So I mean, talk to me about like how you're successfully getting in the woods and like how, how you're playing this dance between being gracious and expressing gratitude and being a family man, but still always trying to get that one more day in the woods. You know, I just, um, basically I'm always nervous still asking dude. It's like, <laughs> I don't think you ever get over that. It's like, ah, oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. Cause it is, it's kind of a selfish maneuver, right? It's like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm going to go out all day by myself. You're going to be home kind of dealing with the kids and like, especially when you do it during the school week or the work week, it's like you're shifting responsibilities there. So it's still nerve wracking for me to sit, ask, Hey, uh, can I go hunting on Thursday? Yeah. Did I kind of say it outside of my mouth (laughs) with a cocked head? Like, uh, (laughs) you don't, you don't make your head down a little bit. You come to them in a humble state, right? (laughs) Absolutely, dude. But, um, yeah, I just, and I still kind of put it off a little bit till the end and ask the last minute, but because um, I'm always on the fence because sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. nowadays, like I said, she it's rare that she says no. I always look at the calendar, pick dates that I know are going to work, and then I kind of work around. Okay, so this weekend we have to do all this stuff, and anyway, it's it's a dance. It, it is it is a dance, but. It, it's a good dance. I mean, 
And and here's the thing. She knows it's limited time. I mean, it, it's frustrating for her. She always says she's a hunting widow during yeah. September time for sure. But yeah. there's it's a one and a half, two and a half, or that's a less than two-week window in early season, and it's a three-week window in late season. And late season, it's a little harder to get out because the weather just really sucks. And when it sucks, it yeah, doesn't it, suck. Is it is it so. is it because it's is it because the weather sucks? Or is it because we don't want to be in sucky weather that we spend less days in late season out? What do you think? Um, I think it's a combination <laughs> of both, dude. Yeah. I've spent a lot of days in ugly-ass weather, yeah. and they just hunker down. And they're a lot, I mean, you hunt the timber. Yeah. Or you go into the real thick, ugly reprods, and that's usually where they're at. And it's almost impossible to hunt them in there. It so, is. And, and then you're, so you're dealing with the – miserable hunting conditions and then you're dealing with they just don't want to be out in it either yeah no. i mean days after days they'll start to get out there a little bit more and and you can catch them slipping but it's still it's still a bit of a needle in the haystack right because you're you're trying to at least where i'll break the trend of the conversation and, and even in my solo experience uh just the other day i mean it was I saw the writing on the wall. These things weren't coming out in the open where I was sitting. So I was glassing a nice spot and, you know, I had a view of a really nice bowl beneath me and I had good views of uh, two clear cuts just on the other side where, you know, with a solid pair of binos, um, you know, I could get into those as well. But the, I saw the right, I, I did my due diligence. I was at the spot, you know, probably I was at the spot about an hour and 20 minutes before first light. So I was hunkered in nice but man, right around nine o'clock, I could see that the weather was coming in hard and it was quiet. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know what, man, if I'm going to do it today, I'm going to have to find a needle in the haystack and maybe I can catch one in the big timber going to water or something. And I ended up finding some good beds and some good, um, some good trails and even some fresh tracks, but Dang it, brother! It's a needle in the haystack once you get in that big stuff, or even that. Re and that reprod is just miserable to hack through. So even oh, if you it's... do trip on them, they're going to bump them and they're gone. The yeah, for sure. That's why they're there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, gosh, it's I've pushed through that stuff, and just even when we went down at the basin of that one um, in that one hunt, and I to looked at you and I said, "I told myself I'm <laughs> never coming down in these holes again." Damn and here I am, year after year, doing the same shit, and I can't believe it. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's it's still fun to do or we wouldn't ask to, oh, yeah. to keep to keep doing it and, and trying to find a way to make it happen. But I'll be honest, man, I really believe, though, that late season is a great opportunity for the workmen to sneak off and get some days in. So, yeah. like, and, and to be honest, one thing that's helped me to get – you know, one of my goals every year hunting-wise is just to get one more extra day. And this year, I've gotten two. And I got those two extra days hunting during the work week. And what I ended up doing is, you know, fortunate for me, I have a job where, you know, as much as I don't like my boss, she doesn't check up on me. And there's a real loose framework in, in how we can take leave and sick days. So, to be honest, I took two sick days um, in the middle of the week, uh, this week and last, and, and got out in the woods, and um, it was really fun. But and I think one of the things that actually made it possible was the fact that it's late season, and the days are shorter. So it's like, huh, ended up working out where I could, you know, sun up is at 7.30-ish, and yeah. sundown's at 4.30. So 
I mean, yeah, it's you could sit there and say glass half empty, it's limited time, but you could also say, okay, actually it's a concentration of time. So half full, I could sneak in a day and yeah, my wife's got to do a little extra work because, you know, I'm the one who takes the kids to school and picks them up. But on those days, all she's got to do is get them to school and work. So she's just not hankered with them because she's just doing a work day. And it's actually worked out on those two days where I've gotten home before her. And because she's, you know, she, you know, she'd get the kids from school. She'll go grocery shopping. She got the kids from school one day and decided to take the kids out to dinner. Like, and I'm home before them getting my gear set back up for the next one. You know, so I, I, I love late. I, I, the more, although the weather's harsh, um, I am enjoying late season because it's, it's given me the experience at least to get out on my own a little bit. I like the concentration of the days. I think, I think guys hunting on a time budget, if, if you're, if your work's flexible enough and you're, and you're willing to maybe, you know, um, get in that gray area with your boss and use a sick day, you know, um, go for it. I've, I've been able to get two really, two really cool experiences on, on, on my own on that. And and I think I, I like the time, the shorter days, I think really are beneficial to guys trying to do this on a time budget. Well, and you put a hundred percent of your effort in that whole day, right? That's you're, it. Yeah. You're out in the woods the whole stinking time. You take advantage of that, the hours that you have. So if you really reflect back and look at how many hours you hunt during the early season, during the day, how many hours you hunt during the late season, they're they're probably pretty similar. I mean, with our group, um, I mean, I, I tend to hunt all day, even in early season, because I just love hunting. So yeah, I I'll, I'll, I agree with you. There's a tendency in the early season hunt to hey, you know, let's go back to camp and have lunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Rather than you know, they're not going to be moving, right? Yeah, but they might be, right? So yeah, I mean, look, man, it's it's easier to put a full day in on that that eight to four schedule than it, it or you know seven thirty four thirty than it is when you're going dang it man what, early season the sun's up early and it goes down late i mean that that really legitimately could be if, if you're trying to do things i mean dang it you could be up at four thirty in the morning and and dang it if it's the right pack out um you're up till 2 a.m. 3 a.m. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to that day you could put that cow down. I mean, we were up early, and thank goodness we got a little bit of service, and Chad um, picked <laughs> up lucky. his phone and, and could come pick us up because we 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 might still be hiking to camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because we were at the bottom of that creek walking up a walking up a long road, but um, I think we figured that we had about seven or eight miles that we had to walk up the road and. God, <laughs> and they we got down to the road at eleven, God, eleven that, at night. So that would have been miserable. Well, Chad, if you're listening, where's he? Italy right now? Um, uh, no, Spain. <laughs> he's in Spain. Uh, if you're listening, thank you for picking up your phone, sir. Uh, let's, get, <laughs> let's get another hunt together. Um, but but yeah, let's. So so you brought it up. Um, you know, uh, we did go into a bowl. Um, that so let's go back into it. So last time we talked, we had um, recapped a uh, our first day of our early season, or excuse me, our late season weekend hunt. And um, today I thought it'd be cool to um, go over the second day because it was a completely different day. I mean, uh, day one was a crisp, chilly day, but but super, but super bright and sunny. 
Oh, yeah, all day long. And we saw, as if you go back to the episode, we saw elk all day. We saw a herd in the morning, small herd in the timber. Um, we saw we saw two in a little clear cut walking out, and then we had two encounters with bulls going back to camp. Like, it was a crazy day. I mean, you, I can't, I would, I would, um, I would press any hunter to not trade that day for another. I mean, it, outside of killing and packing out, I mean, we did everything. It was awesome. It was a great day. Yeah, hunt. it was a great day. But, but then the next day, um, we, well, not even the next day, that next evening, we drove on out to get some service to check in with the with the wives, which is a good tip, folks, if you do want to get more days. If you're checking in with them while you're out there, um, they'll be more willing to let you go. But uh, we were checking in with them, and you decided to check the weather. <laughs> Uh, yeah that was kind of a Downer. it was a good bad thing <laughs> but as you're checking it you go joe if i didn't like you so much i'd be going home right now um, because we were looking at you know 60 70 80 80 80 80 percent rain um and, and we knew uh we knew a storm was coming in but to be perfectly honest it wasn't as bad as the report wanted us no, to it believe wasn't. it was going to be it wasn't that bad at all really but I'll tell you what it did do. Um, it definitely switched the elk off, which was really crazy. I mean, as many animals as we saw, um, elk, yeah, we saw a bunch of elk, and we didn't see a damn elk that whole day. No. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. So so I know that... You know, I know a cold and heat might not affect, probably heat probably might affect the elk more because they're so big, but, you know, in cold you'll see them out, but it seems like they have a nose for 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 rain, and, and they don't want to be out in the rain because even on my solo experiences, they've been rainy days. I haven't seen much elk. Yeah, I think it just, it's a little harder for them to survive because they can't hear as well, I think. I mean, I, I really don't know, but... Yeah, I'd my theory is is that it's it's loud, it's nasty weather because I've I've seen them out in this nasty weather in the middle of the day feeding and doing their thing, and you sure. see cattle and livestock and that doing it, but um, yeah, they must just hunker down because they go into ugly ugly places when the weather comes in like that. Yeah, and big in the big timber. Well, in the big timber, when you get into it in the in that weather, it's kind of comfortable, to be honest. I mean, it's a little darker, it's quieter, um, and it's it's definitely a little bit more dry in some yeah. of that big where that big canopy is, and it's nice. But man, there just there there weren't much there there, you know our our idea to get on those two bulls again and kind of run through where they were. That kind of got changed a bit, although we did go after one, um, which. You know, we can maybe attack this in reverse um, later in the afternoon on day two. You know, we did go into that spot and we kind of we kind of worked the trail into the clear cut across from the bowl where we saw him. And I think we got onto his trail or, or something's trail. But, um, you know, this was this was a kind of a cool moment for me. I, I'll tell you, I had two moments um, on this hunt that were pretty neat for me. And, and this was one where um as we're as we're slipping in and going in in and out of some nasty stuff, um, about sixty five yards o- across this um, down and up slope we were in, um, I saw a sh- I saw I saw a legal a legal blacktail and uh, about sixty five yards away bedded down and I said Jeremy, go get that deer. So <laughs> it was you know because you came out there on an elk hunt with me, but. Um, you had your deer tag, and it was cool. 
it was cool for me as a guy who has learned so much from you hunting wise and you know you do so much to set up camp and you know you're generally the guy who puts us on and picks out spots and and you're you're freewheeling with all your information with us and, and, and mentoring a bunch of hunters but it was really cool for me to to put you on a deer and put you on a stalk yeah it was awesome that was fun too yeah and um so did did when when i spotted that when i spotted that bedded deer um did you see it before you went on your stock yeah i saw it before i put the stock on yeah you got it you pinpointed it out it took me a few minutes and then i finally got i saw him and then i slid then that's when i started slithering down and dropped my pack and started still hunting up on him i ended up getting within like uh, probably 30 yards yeah maybe maybe 40 sure so and then uh, go ahead no i was gonna say um uh, I know that wasn't, and this is funny too. I know that you said you're you're holding out for the big buck this year. Now this was not the biggest buck; it was a little little forky. Um, but you know, obviously where we were, it was was any buck you could shoot. And uh, you know, what was going through your head there? Were you were you weighing the considerations, or did all of a sudden legal animal, all of a sudden all that patience and that forethought are <laughs> putting out for a mature one? I mean, what happened there? Uh, it, it turned into, I'm going to kill this damn thing. <laughs> there you go. You know, every year I say I'm a hold out for the big one, Joe, you're going to, you're going to hear me. They say that. And yeah. anytime I see an opportunity with an eagle, legal animal, I just can't refrain from hunting them. I just, I just can't I just yeah. like, she's, I, it didn't even cross my fi- mind to pass them up. I was going to, I was on a mission. I hear you to there. Arrow, to, to sling an arrow, but it, it didn't happen. But yeah. And they're, they're weary they're they're weary animals and to be honest he was switched on because as we obviously as we went as we were coming into that clear cut we weren't i mean we were trying to come in slow as slow as we could but it was it you know anyone who's hunted these areas where you know it's steep thick and wet all the time um it's just it's just tough it's tough to be quiet but um but you get into that devil's storm and salmon berry and i'm still pulling thorns out of my hands <laughs> <laughs> I got look. There's one bedded in right now. It's just like, come on, man. I got. I can count one, two, three. Little. Yeah. I mean, my hands are tore up. Um. But, but. The, I here's sw- a tip, everybody. If you go down in those drainages, always have a pair of snips. No, and that's a that is a um that is the thing. You know, you I go through a gear list, and you know, what am I going to get this year? And um, you know, I've I've developed a nice setup. Um, but that is going in the pack next year and snips are unbelievably useful if you're hunting that thick nasty stuff especially when you get into where the blackberries are brutal right but so what what was cool though is this deer this deer was switched on and the reason i saw him i mean he was bedded down in a nice spot he had a he had a steep he had some steep brush behind him and he could he was bedded down where he could see into anything open so he saw us uh, before we saw him, or at least, I mean, I made eye contact with him. I mean, I saw his nose, and I was deadlocked on him the whole time you were on your stalk. So, um, I mean, I was probably getting to know this deer for about, I don't know, how long do you think your stalk was? I mean, time time has a way of standing still out there, but I would say it was a good two to three minutes he stayed bedded, if not longer. Oh yeah, it, it was probably from the moment you seen him until the moment he stood up. It was probably 
around eight to ten minutes. And I just tried to freeze and um, give you the opportunity to to kind of put the move on them. Um, but here's here's the, here's why I wanted to bring up this one first. You know, I listened to a couple podcasts and about hunting, and every now and then this controversy has come up on the Meat Eater podcast about. You know, there's all these rules about shooting animals. You know, you don't shoot turkeys in the air. Um, you don't shoot ducks on the water. Um, and even with, like, deer, there's this idea that, you know, uh, shooting a bedded animal, you know, it, it's not sportsman. So uh, where do you stand on any of this? I mean, I, I, I feel like I feel like if you have a good shot and he's bedded, you know, why do you got to disturb him to kill him? Um, my thing is I'm, (laughs) he's there, I'm there. I got an arrow. I got opportunity. I got an open window. I'm going to take it. The thing about when they're bedded down is that the vitals aren't, sometimes it's a little tougher shot because of how, um, that front shoulder comes back when they bed down and stuff like that. So it is better for when they stand up, but if they're sitting down and it's a quartered way shot, I'll take it. Or if I could see that that front shoulder isn't there, I'll take that shot all day long. Well, that's also one of the reasons I put you on the stalk rather than to pull back on it, to be perfectly honest, because the way he was bedded down in front of me, I had a bit of, it would have been he was quartering two and his front elbow was blocking his vitals. So this is exactly what you're talking about. And that's why I was like, okay, if I hold tight, you put the stalk on, get him more of an angle on him. If if we can get you set up, maybe he stands up and he holds for a moment and we can get that shot. But um I, I would I think if he were reversed and he was that again, like you're saying, if he was quartering away and that elbow wasn't there, one of us probably could have taken that shot there. And again, I would have put you on that shot because you know, I've worked to extend my range this year, um, about to a really comfortable with fifty yards. But that would that would have been a big dilemma for me if I was alone on that hunt because that would have been that like because when I ranged him he was sixty three yards away and I'm like dang it <laughs> right out of the threshold <laughs> dang it dang it you know what I mean so um, have you been in that spot where you know you've worked hard you've got your established range and I mean do you just have that send it mentality and and, and hope for the best or I mean. Uh, I know that this is kind of a sensitive conversation to have, but I mean, I'll tell you right now, as a guy who's been itching to fill that first big game tag, um, that that was a that was a that would that was a tough opportunity. And I'll be honest with you, if I were alone, that would have been that have been a really interesting dilemma for me. Yeah, it is a dilemma, especially when you're you're hungry for you know a good hunt and. Yeah you're out there, you put all your time and effort and then you get that close, but you're not close enough. And it's like, okay, then you start to make these judgments. And I mean, I've let arrows fling when I'm too far away and it just, I stick with what I I say, okay, 60 yards is max with the deer unless it's perfect conditions and I'll shoot up to 70, 80 yards. But 60 yards is like, I'm confident in a six inch diameter shot. And then um, with elk, I'll I'll go up to seventy, eighty. But it like all- in our, our our in the early season, I said I'm not shooting an elk outside of thirty yards because the ra- it's raining so hard that if you are off a little bit from those vitals, you're not blood trailing them. No, that's that's a really good point. And and 
you know, I guess sometimes you have to be able to do your math, right? And you have to be sound enough to get it done. Um, I would have liked to think in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have taken that shot alone because, you know, doing the math, it wouldn't have worked out. You know, just on the fringe of my range, the the critters bedded. Um, it is a it is a tough angle, right? You know, he's it, he is switched on already. It'd be one thing if that deer was also bedded and didn't see us, but he had made eye contact, so he was already weary, right? So, and, oh yeah, he was on and, on edge. And like we experienced, as soon as he made the decision, you know, screw this, he was he ghosted. He's gone. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I popped out. I went. I popped out in full draw, and then I was like, "Dang it, I know he's right there." Yeah. And then he stood up, and I was like, "Oh crap!" And when he stood up, he turned around and he bounced. He was gone. You know. Yeah. He, um, but it was still a fun hunt. It was. It was fun to see them, and and th- those uh, those blacktail are, are neat to see. Um, they are. Uh, and and to see one bedded gave me some insight about where they do bed. I mean, they're. I, I'm reluctant. Just like the elk we talked about in the day on day one, you know, bedding in the fringe, putting themselves in the best position where they can see things. I'm so, I'm so reluctant to say that they're smart, but they pick up some damn good habits. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> and they, they, tr- they, they trust their instincts, right? Very well. <laughs> yes. But um, but that wasn't the only encounter. Early in the day, we also had another encounter with a with a blacktail, which again. Um, it was really cool as I went on this hunt with you this weekend. I was like, you know what, man, I really want to see an animal before Jeremy, and I think it would be cool to put him on a hunt because he's tried so hard to put me and others on a hunt. So um, uh, it, that worked out again with with um, the first animal we saw, um, and this one was actually really cool because I knew you wanted to get a big deer, and. Um, we got to that really tight bowl in the back, which was um, where I ended up going again um, on my own. Um, but it was a it that was a great that was a great clear cut and a great vantage point. It seemed to be tucked back in the spot we were hunting, um, and it was one of the prettier, more I would say, from a visual standpoint, ideal spots for both for a hunter to glass and and for for elk to be in oh yeah it was a very beautiful um drainage i mean it was awesome it has it had everything there was there was a creek in the back um a big uh big timber on the fringe um and then i went back into that timber uh on that solo hunt i went on just um just recently and there were all kinds of trails back here um it was it was a cool spot but when again when we had gotten there we we were glassing up and we didn't see any elk but you know out of nowhere <laughs> this beautiful blacktail was just working that fringe yeah that was funny too cuz you're like oh deer there's a deer <laughs> just walking by <laughs> there's a deer <laughs> and we were i think i ranged him we were about 100 yards away is that what it was? And he was moving to our left. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, he was about 100 yards away. He was moving hard to our left. And, and you came, after you'd put the stalk on him, you had come to the, you had come to the conclusion, the way he was moving and what he was doing, he was on, he was on a, um, he was on a doe. He definitely was on a doe, yeah. Because we're at the tail end of their rut out there. Exactly. So it was, it was pretty cool. And, um, but again, this was, this was a similar deal where, um, we glassed him up and it's amazing. 
their 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 eyesight's ability to just pick up movement. Because I guess we had just put our binoculars to our face, and that caused them to stop and yeah. look up at us. So even when he was like, you know, into what he was doing, which was obviously trying to get his business on, and and it check. was definitely scent checking. <laughs> yeah, but he still they picked up movement. He picked up that movement that you know wasn't big, but he picked us up right away. Um, and he he kind of stayed still a bit, but. Um, you went off. You went off onto another opportunity where he was moving to our left. Um, I stayed put again, and, and you bounced out and tried to tried to hit him off. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, when when I, at first you were like, "Hey, you want to go put the stock on him?" I was like, "No, those damn black tail aids. You can't put a stock on them. It yeah, sons of freaking freaking." Because <laughs> he was a big, big, the biggest buck I've ever seen in the woods. Well, you live. saw his rack. I mean, how how big was he? He was a four by four, but he was probably, I, w- I want to say he was about 16 inches wide. He was tall. I mean, too. he was, he was a dandy buck. Yeah. Yeah. I was 15 yards away from him. I was able to put stock on him within 15 yards. Yeah. And, uh, he was behind a big giant stump and I was on top of a knoll. I was in, had the arrow knocked. I knew he was within the vicinity and then I was scanning and then all of a sudden, his head just popped out and he started coming on the same trail and he was about 20, 25 yards of the, when I first seen him. And then he was still looking up at you cause, um, you had made all that noise to stop him so that I could close the distance cause he was on the move pretty well. Oh yeah. And he, I know had, Blacktail, he had an agenda. <laughs> he had an agenda. Exactly. And I know with Blacktail when they, um, when they hear noise or anything, they'll stop for quite a while until they feel 100% secure before they move on. So that's why I ended up putting that stock on because I thought, oh, shoot, Joe, why don't make a whole bunch of noise and then he'll stop and then I'll just cut down. I'll go a couple ridge systems over, run down through the clear cut and then put the stock on them. But Well, you did. And actually, that's the trail I took down, that same trail that you had found um, <laughs> when I went down there solo. Um, I had worked that trail down and I think I had saw... I'll be honest with you. It's pretty. I think I. I think I took the same way down. But I don't know. I know you were in haste. There was also a, a good bit of elk sign in there. So I don't know if it was pressure um, or whatnot. But elk were definitely using that area. I mean, it was. Um, there was there was a great bit of sign going down that same ridge system that you took down to put the stalk on that critter. But again, though, I would say, man, it it was cool for me to. It was cool for me to be able to one. Beat you to finding two deer. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a sign of things that are happening. But, uh, you know, as a guy who's learned so much and been mentored in the hunting game, you know, it was cool to be able to put – it was cool to be able to put you on animals when you've tried so hard to put me on a couple. Yeah, no, I greatly appreciated that. It was a lot of fun on both of those stocks. Yeah, and, and there's something about putting a stock on it. and, and oh, um, I love it. I've went on one with you earlier this year where we were kind of just working down that road after getting some good info from a logger. Um, and even on a solo venture that we'll get into in another podcast, there's some about every step mattering when you're on a good stock that just is like to just be switched on like that, where every little thing that you do, whether it's putting your binos on your face, knocking your arrow, you know, 
moving a blade of grass, you know, pulling out your snips or, or whatever you got to do to just be as quiet and stealthy, but still get ground on something like that, that, that stalking is just a neat thing to be into. And the only time you can really be into it is either when you're hunting for game or I would all probably say whether you're like some sort of soldier or enforcement agent where you're trying to get the bad guys. I mean, there's yeah. <laughs> just a few opportunities where it's really on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like you said, you get in this whole other dimension. We've talked about it before. You kind of get in that flow state. I went on a solo hunt. I think it was Tuesday and um, they had done a bunch of clear cutting in this area and I wasn't expecting it. So I thought, well, I'm just going to still hunt the timber and the timber patches were, it was less than a mile. It's like two sections, a half a mile long. And it took me four hours to go through the, that timber because I still hunted. And it, it was amazing that I got done. I was like, holy crap, it's been four hours? Mm that I've been through the, in this timber, but like you said, it's every step counts. You take three, you kind of glass, you look around, you try to find any kind of movement, any uh, coloration difference in the topography, in the, in the ground cover and take three, four more steps, do it again. I mean, it's, I it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And it, and, and, you know, a lot of people do a lot of things to get off, you know, you know, you know, drugs, women, you know, good gambling, mo- gambling, good movies, whatever. I mean, people do their thing. And, and we've talked about a little bit, too, um, way early on in the podcast, that book, Rise of Superman. You know, you can do uh-huh. extreme sports. You know, these guys have found a way to not only capitalize on this flow state, but they found a way to um, they've that you're better athletes in this space have found a way to get into that flow state on command through different breathing techniques and and whatnot. So they found a way to kind of like, um, to not only harness it when they're in it, but to bring it in to get themselves in and out of it. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing, man. Like it'd be interesting because it's a hard thing to get into as a hunter, I guess, because you do want to be calm and collected, but getting into that kind of state, um, it's tricky to get into because it only gets into, you only get into when it matters and those opportunities are so, are so few and far between. But man, for me, even like on my latest solo venture, like there was a moment where I thought I heard a crack and a breath, you know what I mean? And it was kind of raining, so I don't know, but just the thought of thinking, something was over that ridge really switched me on. But there were also moments where I was trying to convince myself that was happened. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm rambling through the point I'm trying to make, but it's like, you know, it'd be really cool to be able to, to harness the ability to get into that all the time in hunting. And, uh, I don't know how you would do that because, you know, I've tried, I've tried to kind of talk my way into it, but you need like a natural, you need some form of like natural, element whether it's a twig break or you hear a breath or a snort you know what i mean um so it it's a cool place to be a lot of times i think i'm I'm, i can tap into it super duper easily and with me what it is is i just start i go with my gut feeling is one of them and then i start looking at the ground and i start looking at you know everything around me it's kind of that experience right that i have from previous hunts i I know areas where I've seen them and it's kind of backlogged in my mind somewhere. 
And then I could just, all of a sudden, I just start still hunting and concentrating on the other, right? Which would be, the other's definition would be, um, I'm concentrating on movement, looking for legs, looking for body, looking for all these different things. And then all of a sudden I get my mind off of thinking about the hunt, but I'm thinking about the chase. Mm. And I, I guess that's the best way to put it, to get into that flow state is you got to get into that moment of uh, chase and hunt. So I guess in your mind, what, what gets you there is just the accumulation of everything that you've done. So I guess what, what has gotten me into it as a as a hunter is actual animal encounters, whether that's yeah. hearing them or seeing them gets me into it where I can put a decent stock on. Even that very first stock I put on in late season last year, we knew it was an elk the way it was breaking branches. I was dialed in. I mean, this last one I had recently, I think I heard one breathing pretty close got me dialed in but i guess you're able to tap into it because you've had good decent tracking experience where you know what decent sign looks like yeah and just yeah exactly and that's and it's just that anticipation it's you you tap into it because you're you're going in there to do a job or do what you've trained for for a long time and that helps you get into that flow state well i don't think it's something anybody off the street could come over and um, just tap into it and then be bam it's like you you're new into the hunting world and your encounters to get into that flow state you have to have identified that target visually or through hearing or smell some sense with, right yeah and with more experienced hunters i think we could tap into it a little quicker because we know that we can well, that you, we, there's you, the potential of smell here and um sight we have more of an idea what you're looking at you know i yeah. look at a brush pile and whatever and then even tracking with chad he was like I'm, I, I asked him one time i'm like what the hell are you looking at <laughs> he goes well, <laughs> well he goes look at all these leaves he and he's like well why do you think this one's upside down when all the others aren't right so yeah. he was even saying little things like that and i'm like oh okay i get it now so so that's the thing right so i guess the I guess to get into it, right, the more senses you can tap into, the better. But then I think there also needs to be this convergence of, like, it matters what you're doing, so you're emotionally invested. And then also, I do think that there has to be some element of risk-reward in there. And that oh, yeah. this idea of life and death at the end of your arrow um, really matters, man. Like, and... And, you know, when we talk about this, the ethics of a good shot and, and you want to put it down nice and you, you want to do it the right way and you want you, there's skill in doing that good shot. Like, there's just so many elements that matter. And I think when they all come to a peak, that's where you get there. It's just it's just finding a way to make it all matter. And I guess experience and knowing what the hell you're doing is, is a big part of that. Oh, yeah, I think it's a huge part of it. Even when I used to skateboard all the time, I remember in the early years of my skateboarding journey, I really never got into that flow state. But as I got more experience and I was able to um, go to competitions and then utilize the whole all the obstacles, it was a whole different experience as far as that getting that flow state yeah. than it was when I was younger, where I never really got into it. And the experience matters. That's why they have training facilities for a lot of it for the the you know the Navy SEALs and um, well, Red Bull has that 
What's that? No, and you know, and sports psychologists. I mean, they talk guys into this, and and part of part of developing a routine is to develop this optimal state of performance because that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and t- you can do it at work too. I mean, a lot of guys that are workaholics, they can get in flow states at work and get in so engulfed into their work and have just phenomenal resort results. Oh yeah, no, and and you can I mean, do you can do it with anything. Yeah. It doesn't just need to be a physical thing, right? I mean, even yeah, this is why even play <laughs> is so important to kids. There's some there's some parallels between a flow state and a play state where you know it's timeless. You forget who you are. You know, you, you um, timeless in the sense that, like you said, you lost track of four hours, right? Like yeah. when, when you're in the flow or when you're playing what play is meant to be as a little kid or even as an adult, when you get into a nice play state, you don't realize what time it is. You know, you're, you're also selfless in the sense where you don't, you don't, you're not thinking about who you are. You know, when you sit there checking Instagram and you're comparing yourself to all these people, or, you know, you're sitting there stressing about your day, you're very aware of who you are as a self. But again, when you're playing hard or you're in that flow state, you know, you're not thinking about who you are as a person. You're just, acting right so um and getting it done and it's really a it's a really good thing it lends itself to happening more the more you do it and it's just really good for it's really great for your brain it's really good for stress relief um and optimally it's great for performance right because you're dialed into everything so um yeah no it's it's interesting man it'd be cool it'd be cool to get into one of these states and actually arrow a, a, you know a big old toad but we'll work that out you're getting closer, man. <laughs> we are. You know, I was talking to somebody through text, and um, words like pain were coming up, and this and that. I'm like, yeah, you know what, man? You know, my elk season's over. I'm not going to go out on the last day because, you know, my wife's running a 50k that, on Saturday, and she offered to let me go out, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to hammer her alone with the kids after she's just doing that. So, you know, my elk season's over. But I'll be honest with you, man. Like, yeah, I spent more days in the woods, but I still have deer season, so I'm going to really do good on my days this year. But, you know, I had I had a legitimate five opportunities on animals, um, two decent stalks, um, and I got closer than I ever have before. So um, although it hasn't – although my elk season hasn't ended with the notched elk tag, it has ended with – uh, a lot of really good learning experiences that have made me a better hunter and enough proof to keep me in the game, enough proof to say that I have grown. I, I picked up some calling. Um, I've able to put some stocks down. I've I've really gotten comfortable with the setup on my bow. I like the gear that I'm running now. Like I'm I'm comfortable with a lot of stuff. So I'm I'm slowly trimming away at the um at the factors that would I'm trimming away at the low-hanging fruit, where I guess like in weightlifting, you raise your minimums, and in running, you try to raise your minimums um, to, to increase performance. I'm, I'm trimming away at my minimums in my hunting game, and and, and I think I'm on the verge for, for doing some cool sh- cool stuff. Stuff? Yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what you got to do. You just got to get all the bases covered, and then now it's just, you know, sealing the deal, yeah. which sometimes is the hardest part, but it's... Uh, Trial and error, you're going to do it. It's going to happen. And well, then when it does, you're going to be super, then you're going to be really addicted. Yeah, well, and one of the things that makes it hard is, you know, again, you live this snapshot life on social media where you watch other people, right? And the issue <laughs> with that is you, you can watch a, a Ryan Lampers or Brian Call and you can see Steve Ranella and 
Jason Phelps and, and Dirk Dirk Durham and you know the born and raised fellas. You see all these guys being successful, but you forget that they were in the same spot too. And um, yeah. the, the the cool quote that I heard Brian Call talk about uh, he got from Corey Jacobson was uh, Corey Jacobson kept telling him you know you know the people who are successful in this game are the ones determined to get it done. So that's it. So just that's it. Be determined enough to make it happen, and it will. And um, we got a couple more deer hunts in us, but um, we'll review our solo ventures in the next coming episodes. But Jeremy, man, uh, good little good little chat today. Um, uh, yeah, it was fun quickie, as always. But fun, but uh, good stuff, man. Um, you guys out there, uh, if if you're enjoying our little stories as we're recapping our hunts, hopefully they're recapping well enough to get you to go on your own. Um, but remember, guys, uh, the goal here is to get you training, hunting, and living the best life possible. Make sure we're doing that. Uh, let us know if we are or aren't, and that'd be cool. Jeremy, my man, um, thanks for talking Flow State and Blacktail. I was really, really was, man. I was super pleased to be able to put you on some animals. I uh, wish wish it would have worked out for you, but um, for me, I thought I did my part. <laughs> well, I learned I learned something. I mean, that Blacktail hunt, there's only one thing I think we could have done different, and that was draw when I first seen them. I shouldn't have waited. You but, mean when you when you went down on that stalk, or when? Yeah, right when I first saw his antlers, I should have drew back at that point, and then um, then he would have saw my movement, and then he would have started to quarter away slowly, and then I could have got a shot. Mm. I tried to wait because I thought he was going to keep walking, and then he pinned me. You never but, know, bro. You never no, know. you don't. So <laughs> every hunt, every time, you can always learn something, and that's just the beauty of it. That's it, there's always a takeaway, and sometimes there's a hundred takeaways. In most of my cases, it's always a hundred takeaways. That's it. But that blacktail hunt was one of those very few. There, there's gifts where you find them, right? That's it, baby. That's it, brother. Well, um, there's many gifts to be had in the in the in the elk or the deer woods. Uh, make sure you're getting out there and experience some guys. Um, and I think um. I think you're missing out if you're not giving it a try. So make sure you're doing that. So, uh, well, fire it up, Jeremy. You have a good day with the uh, kiddos. I know you're flying solo dad this weekend or for, for a little bit. So enjoy that. I'm solo as well. My wife's on a big race. And uh, um, for all you other daddies out there uh, getting it done, and thanks for listening. Yeah, amen. God bless America. Get after it, guys. <laughs> <laughs>